What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the I'm Getting There podcast. It's your host, Michael Booth, and I am here once again with a brand new episode for you guys and a brand new guest today. I have comedian Trevor Shane Rogers on the podcast, and it was pretty cool to have him on the show uh, talk about comedy, um, talk about his upbringing in the circus, which was pretty interesting, and also talk about his podcast with co-host Duncan McEwen called Midnight Facts for Insomniacs, which you can check out anywhere that you get podcasts on like Spotify or Apple or anywhere. Um, if you go follow him on Instagram, at Midnight Facts for Insomniacs, uh, click the link in the bio, and you'll be able to not only see where you can listen to the show, but also subscribe to their Patreon, um, and then go to shanerogers.net. Uh, it's his website if you want to learn more about the podcast and also learn more about where he's performing and uh, where he does comedy at. Um, this was a fun episode, um, and it, do me a favor, follow the podcast on Instagram. At I'm getting their pod, all one word. I'll make sure to tag Trevor in the episode when I post the um, the episode, and also tag his podcast as well. Uh, it's a good podcast. I listen to it. Uh, it's a it's an interesting one. If you're somebody that's just uh, you know curious and wants to learn about random topics, much like himself, as he describes in the interview, um, it's just a fun one to listen along to and and learn about stuff uh with them and and it's also funny as well so yeah make sure to go and do that also please uh subscribe to the show click the link in the bio um if you're listening to this podcast on spotify or apple podcasts please rate the podcast hit the stars leave some feedback leave a review um i appreciate anybody that's done that so far and i hope you guys enjoy this episode with Trevor today circus growing up yeah and so i wanted to ask you about that because that's i mean that's not something that you know that seems pretty unique like yeah um pretty pretty unique probably i mean it didn't feel weird for me because i didn't that's how i grew up Mm -hmm. um and i think a lot of kids have sort of like avant-garde weird especially in the bay area just have like weird upbringings your parents are you know performers or clowns or something um but yeah is that something that you wanted to talk about on the show or did you oh yeah i was just cute well, yeah you said you're so you're from the bay you're from the bay area like uh like originally like that's where that's where you grew up and stuff and like did they is it just yeah I, well i was born in i grew up in oregon until i was like five and then san francisco until i was like 17 so most of my formative time was in okay and then is that just the the traveling circus is that just like performing around like california or no so it was called the pickle family circus and it was based in san francisco but we traveled in the summers so the show would take the rest of the year off and everyone kind of did their own thing and then they would they would start to put together the next years or the next uh the next show and then we would train basically and and get everything together within the kind of spring months and then in the summer we traveled so we traveled for three months and it was all over america we did we traveled in canada um and so yeah i've been to almost every state and we would be sponsored by whatever organization in that area uh it was a very kind of you know liberal artsy circus but it was a circus i mean we had sort of a, a big top and 
um, all the acts. There were no animals, so it was like a humane circus. Mm -hmm. But all the you know clowns, acrobats. I was an acrobat. We had um, tra trapeze artists and jugglers. And my mom juggled. She was she would get on this big ball and stand on the ball and juggle uh, clubs. And um, she was also the box office manager. And yeah, it was a it was an interesting upbringing. Nice. Like, yeah, he's every wow. That's yeah. You're getting to travel a lot. Is it like is your are you like um, are you doing like uh, school on the road? Like is it like homeschool type thing for you or? So I mean, it was nice that it it was in the summer. So for most of it, I was out of school oh, okay. anyway. Um, but yeah, I actually for the training and and it would start the tour started before school was out. So we had an agreement with my school. I went to the school called Discovery Center. And they were really cool about it. They would give me my lesson plans. I had to do homework all the time. And then I had to bring it back and like have it graded to get credit for the year. Um, so yeah, there was that was uh, that was kind of a hassle. Um, but I wasn't like fully homeschooled. I spent most of the year in, in regular school. And then it was just a month or two that I would have to leave early. Okay. So you probably have some pretty cool stories coming back from like summer summer you know vacation like with if you come back your friends are like what did you do you're like <laughs> they're like probably like holy shit dude <laughs> yeah it was very cool to be the circus kid when i was a kid kid like you know i started so i my mom joined the circus when i was around seven or eight and then i started i really wanted to be in the show so i started training doing acrobatics um gymnastics and I joined the show when I was like nine and then that was very cool. All the kids in middle school thought it was super cool in grade school and middle school. And so, yeah, you know, I was kind of like the celebrity. It was me and another boy. There was uh, Lorenzo Pizzoni. He was the son of the founder of the circus. And we actually went to the same school together. And so we were, yeah, we were kind of the, the cool circus kids. We were the, you know, we, I, I remember, I mean, there were times in the circus when I would go out and like actually sign autographs because they're like, oh, I want that, you know, that kid's so cool. And so other kids, I would sign autographs for them. And um, and then it was not cool anymore once I hit high school. Like when I was 14 was when <laughs> I quit the circus because I went into high school and was like, oh, being the circus kid just means you're a freak. Like that's not cool anymore. And uh, yeah, it quickly turned from being something that was fun and unique. But all and also... It's interesting because I think a lot of kids sort of uh, envied the circus life. And I did think it was cool at the time. But looking back, I mean, it was like I was a kid with a job. Yeah. Like I on summers, every other kid was like, you know, going around on their bike and like playing with other kids. Mm -hmm. And I was like working for money. Yeah. And my mom kept it all. I mean, I got <laughs> some, I guess, that like, you know, I got allowance and things. Yeah. But like you know i don't i'm not mad at my mom about it but i mean ultimately i was like a working child yeah, so, yeah and you get back and you got to go back to school it's probably like you feel like uh, your summertime is is lost on you yeah. yeah yeah i didn't feel like i had real breaks although i'm i'm not mad about it in in retrospect i mean i'm really glad that i had the experience and a lot of it was just i i just had the craziest toys to play with i was jumping on trampolines and yeah. you know doing wild stuff and going all over the place and we would every town we went to we would go and check it out and you know we'd go find a local you know, cool place to, to explore. And so I've seen a lot of the world that a lot of people haven't seen. And, um, overall I think it was really good, but there, there were downsides. Were there any favorite areas to travel to, uh, when you're a kid or was there any things like you went <laughs> kind to of, you, had, you were like, Whoa, this is awesome. Like, 
I really liked Canada. I liked anywhere where I felt like it was different than California okay. or the Bay Area. Um, I really didn't like the South just because it was summertime. And mm, so it was like hot, brutal yeah. in the South. And I mean, there were, you know, we would get a bunch of people. I remember one time, the adults, luckily none of us kids, but um, some of the adults got heat stroke in the show and we had to, you know, stop the show for a while. And yeah, it was in Pennsylvania. I remember there were like ticks all over the place. We were in this big field and, and there were just like, plague of ticks we all got it was terrible so there were places that i remember really not liking um some places were were fun you know it i guess it's just the really scenic areas the midwest was always actually really fun um but yeah i just i just didn't like it it was too hot it was brutal so you said you stopped uh stopped doing the circus in high school now how long from stop performing in the the circus does do you go from like start doing like stand-up comedy that was a while. So I stopped in the circus when I was 14. And then I went to college at UC Davis. And I had a newspaper column there. It was a weekly newspaper column that was sort of comedically oriented. It was just like me, you know, whining about being a college student and trying to write stuff that was silly and kind of relatable, you know, stuff about getting drunk on the weekends or whatever. Okay. Um, and it became more and more it definitely was more like humor oriented, but also kind of more, I tried to make it more sort of poignant and pointed, which looking back and reading it was, is a little cringy now. Uh, but I had a lot of experience with writing every week because I had to have a column every week and it had to be funny. And so writing funny stuff just kind of became part of my life. And then when I graduated, I had all this stuff and I didn't know what to do with it. And so I started a blog that was a perfect time for blogging in the like, you know, early 2000s. Uh, circa 2010 or something and I put up all this stuff online and it got a little bit of a following and one of the followers of the blog who was a big fan of it was at the time the manager of the Laugh Factory in Chicago and she had messaged me we'd message back and forth a lot and she eventually convinced me to try doing stand-up and um, that's how it all started nice so then you go you go to where do you go first? Where's like the first mic you went and did? Or... And the first place I went was Chicago. I did, oh, okay. <laughs> I did a short set at the Laugh Factory, and it went fine. Um, it went really well in my mind at the time, and I think it did go well. But that was because they announced that it was my first time, and she, like she made it really easy for me. And um, I didn't get a sense of what stand up actually was at the time but i but it you know it gave me the bug right it got me addicted and i was like this is super fun and plus I w it was at a real comedy club so it was like a real comedy experience and i i didn't understand open mics and like grinding i was gonna you know? say like that that's the seems like you, you get that first experience it's like it's such yeah. an eye and then to go probably to performing at places like like the blue lagoon and other places you're probably like wow that, okay like <laughs> yeah it wasn't the best way to start because it's kind of like there's nowhere to go but down at that point and you've already kind of had an, an experience that you're not going to be able to recreate for a long time and so yeah it was a little bit um misleading <laughs> for a beginner <laughs> uh and then i took a comedy class actually i did a comedy class in san jose at the improv and that was useful. You know, people really are down on comedy classes. And the reason that they don't like comedy classes, that established comedians always bitch about comedy classes, is because they're right. Like, com there's no one who can teach you to be funny. It, it, just, it doesn't work. And most of the people in that class are never going to even, you know, get, get out of the open mic circuit. But it really is, it's just, it, 
I think it's a little bit of a of a way to avoid the the pitfalls and the traps that you run into in the beginning. There are just basic things that a comedy class can tell you that any veteran comedian could tell you as well if you just sit down and pick their brain for a while. But you know things like, hey, take the microphone out of the stand out of the stand and then move the stand out of the way. Like just stuff that I see new comics do that I, just make me cringe, mm -hmm. and it's because no one's told them differently. And so the comedy class was useful just because I think there are a lot of logistics and learning how to even just the basics of joke writing. They're never going to be able to help you write a good joke, but they can tell you, they can make you understand how misdirects work and the basic structure of a joke. So I think it was useful, even though it didn't teach me to be funny. Uh, it gave me a little bit of a leg up to start with, I think. That makes sense. Yeah, I've heard, I did, it wasn't like a, at a club, but I did like a, it was like a comedy coaching thing. And it was a similar, like, kind of just like the fundamentals of like, here's what to do while you're up here so that you look like you at least know what you're doing. So you, you know, and, and you can present yourself in a way to the people that's, um, you know, like the, the most standard or most practiced way. So I, I yeah, like I, I agree with you on that, that it kind of gives you that like, that at least those things to look out for so that you kind of hit the ground with something you know you're not just kind of like fumbling around with the mic stand in front of you staring at the which i you know i guilty of doing like it's <clears throat> but yeah that uh that kind of stuff is helpful so from the comedy classes and from that you just like um like how like did you start the did you um when did you uh when did you meet um was it duncan that you did the podcast with yeah oh duncan was way before that so i met duncan in high school oh wow okay and yeah we have known each other for most of our lives um we met at a we were both working at this place called just desserts it was like this cafe slash bakery thing in berkeley and we bonded originally over music. So Duncan and I have known each other and worked together in creative capacities for almost all our lives. We, when I was in high school, we started a band. Nice. And then that actually continued. We went to college together and we continued there with a pretty, you know, mildly successful band. We had songs on the college radio station in Davis. And, oh, cool. you know, we toured all over kind of Northern California. Um, and he's a he's a singer. He's an amazing singer. And I played guitar. And so we've collaborated in various bands for all of our lives. And that's yeah, that's how we have always maintained that connection. It was always through some kind of creative collaboration. And so I once I started doing comedy, and that started getting some traction and you know, get you get passed at a club or two, and then you kind of start um, getting more invested in it. I was less invested in the music, and so we we didn't really drift apart as friends at all, but we didn't have that same collaboration anymore. We didn't have that same connection um, and sort of outlet of something that we were doing together that had always that had always been really mutually beneficial for us, I think, to work on things together because we also have a really good working relationship. Okay. And I had done a podcast briefly with someone else and it just kind of never came together and I didn't know if podcasting even made sense for me. And, um, when that one ended, it was right before the pandemic. And I just, I was like, you know, the person that I have the most chemistry with and the most rapport with is Duncan. And we've always had this dynamic where 
you know, I'm very, I've always been very academically oriented and I was always kind of like, you know, reading the encyclopedia just to learn stuff. Mm -hmm. And Duncan would always, he has an interest, but he doesn't have, I guess, the wherewithal and the, and the motivation to do that. So I would always be lecturing him about stuff okay. that he didn't know. And so we brought that dynamic. There was a podcast that I really like called The Dollop that had kind of a similar um, setup. And I sort of wanted to do The Dollop, but I wanted to do it with a different, I wanted to do different subjects. The dollop is his, basically just history oriented. I wanted to do something like stuff you should know, uh, but with the kind of dollop dynamic. And I wanted to do it based on sort of any subject that we thought was interesting. And that turned into actually any subject that the listeners thought was interesting, which is how it works now. We have a poll in our Discord. We okay, have about 500 yeah, people in our Discord. That, actually, all the time. How you guys come Yes. So we have a Discord community. There's about 500 people in there all the time. And, and you know, we throw a poll up and they just vote on it. And they come up with the suggestions for the for the topics, too, for the most part. Every once in a while, I hijack it and do my own thing. But most of the time, we go with what they chose. That's cool, because then it's almost like you're, like, now you're just having to learn about what, you know, they're kind of throwing at you instead of, because I was going to, yeah, I was kind of curious about how you, because I've listened to some of your guys' podcasts, and I, the, now that you explain that dynamic, it totally makes sense that, uh, you know, you're kind of like the one um, kind of giving, like, and explaining a little more of the stuff with Duncan kind of, uh, like, reacting, and almost, he's, he's providing stuff too, but I do like that dynamic of, like, the, where the humor comes from, is he kind of gives, like, these, you like, the one you guys just did about AI, uh, and talking about um, talking about chat GPT and stuff. Uh, you know, I was just like, I was laughing at a few of the, you know, the back and forth that you guys have. And, uh, no, it's a good, it's a good podcast. People like, if you're listening right now, definitely go, um, uh, you know, pause this and go listen to um, Trevor's podcast. Cause it's uh yeah, you guys really go in depth on a lot of stuff and you take like, take a lot of different angles and you can tell you guys take the time to like you know look this stuff up you're not just like looking at headlines and then just kind of like no in. <laughs> yeah and i'm not even just you know reading wikipedia or something like i fact check everything i've always been that way i've been very diligent about research and very kind of fascinated with with facts and learning sort of the truth behind things because it's very easy to get from you know like you said just read the headlines and sort of get a very uh very surface view of what's going on so that is something that i've always enjoyed is kind of getting the backstory about things that i'm interested in and the cool thing with it like you mentioned has been the ai one in particular was one where i just hijacked the show and decided i wanted to do that because i'd been reading a lot about it i just read a book about ai it was really fascinating to me and i just wanted to do that subject so i kind of every once in a while i just make an executive decision and dive in but some of the best episodes and most interesting for me have been ones that i never would have looked into on my own. We did one on, you know, pirates. We did one on um, aliens and, and this thing. Uh, anyway, we've done things that I just never would have on my own even known existed or had any interest in. And I kind of wasn't looking forward to. They won the uh, the poll and I was looking at this like, oh, what am I going to do with, with this subject? I don't know anything about this and I don't even have the interest yeah. in it. And then they ended up being some of the most fascinating uh, subjects that we've we've had and that I'm really glad that I looked into. So it's been really fun for me and I think super beneficial and personally rewarding in a lot of ways. Do you find that uh, like looking up this stuff and reading and doing a lot of this research, it helps you like develop like uh, any like material for stand up? Yeah, sometimes there have been and there have even been some 
random improvised lines that listening back to an episode I've heard that kind of sparked a comedy bit. Um, but, and, and one thing that I found is that I can occasionally use bits that didn't work for comedy. Like they're not, you know, comedy, you really have to have a, a strong punchline, right? There's gotta be a misdirect and there's gotta be a rim shot moment. Mm -hmm. And with the podcast, I like that we can be funny without having to have those. And so some things that I've written for stand up and maybe didn't hit as hard as I wanted, but they're still funny. Like every once in a while, I'll just drop a line into the podcast from something that I had written a long time ago and occurs to me and I'm like, ah, oh, you know, that never worked on stage, but I bet it that would be, you know, it's appropriate here and it would be funny. So there is a little bit of cross-pollination between the podcast and stand-up. Uh, probably not as much as there should be. I should be better about uh, actually mining for material, but occasionally it does happen. That's awesome. Have you guys, um, I don't know, have you guys thought about, I don't even know if it would, have you guys tried or doing anything like live with the show? Like maybe putting on like a live event or something or having like a live recording or? So we do a show every other week now, once COVID ended. So like I said, we started the show kind of right before quarantine. And so we just dove in and I was able to do a lot of research and spend a lot of time on it because I didn't have anything else going on. There was no stand up. I didn't have a job. I was sitting at home like everybody else. And it was an amazing outlet. And I'm so glad that I had it. And that's really where it grew. Um, but, you know, going forward, I think it's uh, it's going to be something where I just f totally forgot the question. Where were we? At? No, I was just <laughs> asking about, like, maybe taking it to the to, to like a live format. I don't yeah, know. yeah, live. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, it's, I didn't get much sleep there last night. Go. I did Comedy Oakland last night and I did the late show and um, it didn't I stayed for the whole thing they had me go on second to last and I ended up staying for the whole thing and then I just like seriously am suffering from I was already having insomnia thus the name of the podcast and so I'm like barely here right now I'm trying my best uh, so live shows so yeah we I, I just once I went back to doing um, work and comedy it just became overwhelming I was like I can't keep up the same pace with the podcast anymore and so what I did was I decided I would do we would do a biweekly show and every other week we would do a Patreon only episode and it wouldn't be research based because the research is what kills me. Like I just it takes so long because like I said, I'm very thorough with it and I take it super seriously. So that can take a long time to research an episode and trying to do it and produce the show every week was just not going to work anymore. And so these live shows that we do are more um they're a little bit more free flowing. They have different segments. Uh, we do like a trivia thing where we kind of quiz everyone. We usually have a guest on. And by the way, you should come on and be a guest at some point. And um, we then do a subject. So we'll talk about like, for instance, we just had Mark Christopher on me and him opened for Lori Kilmartin at Rooster Tea Feathers. And we worked together for a week. So, nice. you know, he came on the podcast. Um, and the subject was the top five worst careers that we could imagine doing. And we always come up with a list of five of the, you know, the worst or best of a certain subject. So we've done, you know, the, the five uh, most overrated uh, comedians of all time, the five uh, best uh, animated movies, you know. And so it's just something where I don't have to put a lot of time and effort into it, but it's still fun. And a lot of those are live streamed to the patrons. And then, we post a sample of those on our regular feed just so people kind of know what it is. Mm. Um, but it's mostly for the patrons. Nice. 
that's cool so it's like yeah if the that it yeah that's because it's i'm sure you guys get some interesting back and forth if you're having other comedians on too that's probably got to be fun like uh i've i've done some i've done some episodes on here where i think i've had i think i had like four other people on at once and so there was like all five of us kind of just boom and it was like really fun to do that like in the in a full because it's it's like like you said earlier it's like you there's times where you can be funny but you're not it's not like on the stage where you're trying to like you know have that punchline or something and just like it feels like you're just at like it feels like you're outside at the blue lagoon or something with everybody you know kind of just like bullshitting and that kind of stuff is like some of my favorite like uh interactions to have yeah totally that that is what i wanted it to feel like we actually one of my favorite episodes that we did of after midnight was with our wives so we had the the discord kept trying to get us to bring our wives on the show and i didn't know how that was going to turn out but it ended up being really fun. Uh, it was me and Duncan and Sarah and Jody. And uh, that was the one that was, I think, the greatest, the five greatest, you know, uh, animated movies of all time. And they had some strong opinions. And so it was a good <laughs> little debate. And it was kind of fun to have them come on and give us a hard time. And um, yeah, and then having comedians on is always fun because comedians, for the most part, are pretty comfortable in this kind of scenario. And sometimes, you know, we've had a couple guests who were just uh, had other podcast um, hosts and and some other people, and and they're fine, but they, you know, they're not sort of trained to be as as quick and and fun as as some of the podcast or some of the, the comedian guests have been. And like you said, it is like I, one of the things that I used to love about comedy, and this was probably before your era in Santa Cruz, at least, but. We would, when I started, it was like me, Chad Opitz, Mike Montgomery, you know, Vincent Schwang. Like we would all go from the Blue Lagoon across the street to the Mexican place. And so afterwards, you know, it was just these comedians sitting around and giving each other a hard time and talking about sets and running jokes by each other. And that was really fun. And so, yeah, it's nice to have that kind of rapport, even if it's not that subject, but that kind of dynamic again. I've heard so many stories about this Mexican place. Uh, yeah. It's like... I, I'm like I've, I've like seen uh, I think I've seen some pictures from it. And I'm like, man, why do they have to tear it down? Like it's like it sounds like such a dope spot to, especially being right across the street from there. That sounded like such yeah. a great like location for it to have. I mean, there's still some cool like chill spots now, and but it's yeah, it's definitely uh, yeah. The <clears throat> so you you were like, uh, do you have any like? Uh, is there any particular like nights from that era that you remember being like super crazy? Or any like wild well, we blue did. lagoon stories that you have? Oh boy, there are some wild <laughs> blue lagoon stories. Um, there was, well, I don't know. Can I? <laughs> how personal can I get on this? So I'll tell you a couple stories. One was um, we did actually a show that was across the street at the Mexican restaurant. Um, it was part of the comedy festival, DNA's okay, comedy yeah. festival one year. And so one year it's sort of the after party was at that Mexican place and we did an, um, a quote mic, but it was, you know, it was booked. It wasn't, it, not anyone could get up. It was only the comedians that had been on, on the, the festival. And uh, it was pretty wild. I mean, at that point I was still drinking. I'm sober now, but back then it was a little bit of a wilder time for me. <laughs> and uh, we were all pretty intoxicated. And do you know Chad Opitz? Yeah, kind of. I've met him a few times. And you've seen his closer, yes. right? The big Bud Light yeah, bit yeah. where he does, he runs around the room. He, it, everyone knows it. He's, he does it every time. And he had just, it had already become kind of iconic, but 
it was still fairly new. It was his first year of him doing it. And so he did the bit. He started doing the bit, but he was really drunk. And halfway through, he just blinked and he couldn't keep going. <laughs> and he's running around and he doesn't know what he's supposed to yell at this point, you know, because he, he usually runs out into the crowd and yells the, the yeah. stuff. And everyone, it was great because all the comedians, we all knew that bit by heart because he would do it every time. And so we started yelling in tandem all of the punchlines oh, to the okay. joke. And he's just running around and like, you know, and like cheering us on as we yelled out his joke. Uh, and that was just one of those like really fun kind of bonding moments where you realize like we're all in this together. We all know each other's jokes. We're all like we know each other so well that we can say each other's bits. Mm -hmm. And uh, and it was that was just really fun. It's just something that oh, kind of stands hilarious. out to me. <laughs> and then I did um, <laughs> I did a show at the Blue Lagoon where I ended up um, hooking up with this girl who had come to see a different comic and she she came and she came up to me at the blue and she was like hey you're really funny i really liked your set and i was like that's awesome and she's like yeah i'm really uncomfortable because i'm here with this comic who's not funny and i was like what happened i won't say who it was but she had gone to a show that this comic was on and had mistaken his set for someone else's set and so when he asked her out after the show, she was like, oh, you were that guy on the show. And he was like, yeah, but he was not the comic she oh, thought he no. was. And so she ended up at the Blue Lagoon and she was like, he's terrible. And he was. He was a really bad comic. He's a really nice guy, but a really bad comic. And she was like, you have to save me. I have to find a way to get out of here. This guy is so terrible. And his jokes were really like misogynistic and kind of like he was a nice guy, but but his jokes were terrible. I mean, it was just like, you know, and then I slapped the bitch. Like, it was just terrible. <laughs> And she was like, I got to get out of here. And so she and I like scampered over to uh, the Mexican place across the way and ended up hooking up. And he was super mad at me for like a year about that. But uh, we we stayed friends. Uh, but yeah, there were all kinds of things that have happened. Yeah. Um, that's funny. Uh, yeah, I'm always curious whenever I you know meet someone or have, have someone on the podcast that was there like in that time period or before me. I'm always curious to hear because I yeah, there's this is it's a fun place and it's um it's uh yeah it's uh it's a, it's just there's all you never know what's gonna happen really on on tuesday nights when you're there <laughs> did you ever see brendan lynch uh, uh i saw him so i saw him one time at the poet and patriot and uh he yeah. did it was like uh he like crowd worked the entire room i've never seen anything quite like that before and it was it was really interesting i was like whoa this dude is and that's the only time i've ever seen him like perform it was it was wild yeah, that was one of the, my real strong memories from beginning. That's, he's the first person that I saw do stand-up live. When I moved to Santa Cruz, I randomly was in the Blue Lagoon, and this was it used to be Thursday nights, and I just kind of wandered in there, and there was this guy just tearing people apart, like just wrecking them. <laughs> and it was, it was so, like, I was just intimidated. I was just like, what is this? Why would this even, why would anyone want to subject themselves to this? <laughs> But it was really funny. I mean, he's he was just such a force comedically and um, was one of the people that kind of made me want to do stand-up but also made me really scared to do stand-up because he was very confrontational with the crowd to to an extent. It was just, well, he would you know, it was just verbal. People. He had a stare. I used to describe it as like when he would look out at the crowd, it felt like 
a lighthouse was like sweeping the beam across or like, like trying you to know, find you find, I, trying to find you and you're <laughs> yeah yeah like a like the light beam from you know a guard tower at a prison and you would be like you'd freeze you know you just be like oh no and you would hope that he wouldn't pick you to fuck with and yeah and then he would just go in on someone and man it was just brutal to watch but just incredibly you know, uh, incredibly in the moment, like, and cool to see, because it just, it, we always get used to seeing people just do their standard material. And even crowd work can feel very rehearsed and very, um, you know, you, you're like, I'm pretty sure that they've said that line a million times. They're just looking for that kind of person, mm -hmm. right? They're, and I, I do that all the time. You know, I'll throw out a line about it. We all do the like, you know, oh, so how long have you guys been married? Blah, blah, blah. And then you have some stupid line about mm -hmm. it. But for him, it was always something about that person. He would find something specific that you knew he hadn't found, you know, he was looking for someone new, something different. And he was just so quick and brutal. And yeah, th those were, those were some pretty wild times watching Brendan Lynch just tear people apart. And, you know, people would always threaten him. Like numerous times people were like, I'll see you outside, man. I'm going to kill you. <laughs> like he just, cause he would trigger people. Wow. It was pretty wild. <laughs> That's crazy. All right. Just, yeah. A few things before we, I had something I wanted to um, to show you. I didn't. I just saw this today, actually. Uh, it looks like Metallica is going to announce that a they're doing a Jimmy Kimmel live residency for like the next <laughs> week. Really? Yeah, and so I wanted to bring that up because I wanted to see yeah like your reaction. Oh, oh, it's like <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> it's kind of wow. it's kind of cool, I guess, but I don't. Yeah, I'm just wondering what's going to come of it. And, like, I'm excited for, like, the memes and the videos that are going to, like, probably be generated from, from from them playing on Jimmy Kimmel. Wow. I mean, yeah. I was – so I grew up as, like, a super metalhead. Um, okay. And it's been interesting to see these bands get old and kind of tame themselves. And mm -hmm. there's nothing more – domesticated than a metal band you know being the house band for a late night tv show that's i was trying to like conceptualize it and like put it in terms of like uh if they were doing it at a time period of like when they had put out like the black album or anything before that you know and like if they were <laughs> like it would have been insane to see them just be like the ba the house band on a talk show Imagine for you. like yeah, <laughs> like letterman or something yeah like, <laughs> Like Leno, and then it's just Metallica. <laughs> it would have been cool, but... <laughs> it's so wild. It's funny. How, I mean, it's the same thing as I grew up with, you know, Snoop Dogg and, like, Dr. Dre, The Chronic and stuff. And now Snoop Dogg's, like, you know, cooking with Martha Stewart and stuff. And it's just... And he's, like, a WWE wrestler. And <laughs> yeah. And just doesn't make... Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, oh, come on, man. I mean, <laughs> it's just the way that... In some ways, it really puts a nice perspective on this silliness of trying to be hardcore in anything you know mm -hmm. i think like whenever you think you're a badass it's like yeah you're gonna get old eventually and like none of this matters you know and so yeah. i think that's that's cool to some extent to see that they're sort of accepting their age and maybe acknowledging it it's always been kind of sad to watch metallica go increasingly gray and still try to be just as hardcore as they were when they were 19 it just it's not yeah to me it never really translated but at the same time there is something heartbreaking about the band that you did think of as being pretty badass when you were a teenager being uh in this position so i don't know <laughs> <laughs> the, 
Yeah, I mean, I just a less they... aggressive version of Master. Yeah, as somebody I mean, comes it... to sit in the couch. Are they gonna play like the jazz? You know, the elevator version of Ride the Lightning or something? Like, how is this even gonna work? I don't know. It'll be interesting to see, but I yeah. I know it's also gonna wreck my you know my teenager. Well, they have all that load and reload stuff. They'll probably just play a bunch of that. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> No, I, I uh, got some yeah, slow I, jams. I just I laughed as soon as I saw it. I was like, okay. I mean, I've been listening to the new, like the new music that's coming out from them. It's it's like poppy sounding. Uh, I think they just kind of they don't have it. Like you said, they're just kind of tamed. Uh, I think it's kind of like as hard as they can go now. Um, it's still cool. Like, but yeah, I, I just wonder. Yeah, I wonder what they're going to do. I wonder what Jimmy's going to have them do. It'll probably be <laughs> pretty been, interesting. Yeah, I was a big Megadeth fan, and okay. just watching Dave Mustaine's crazy ass go on all these, like, you know, he's still whining about how Metallica never respected him, and, you know, when he got kicked out of the band, and it just, it's like, this guy just will never grow up. And he was on Joe Rogan recently, and it just, yeah, it's been kind of sad to watch. Yeah, I mean, he's still... He still rips. Like I saw him oh, last yeah. last or two years ago when they came uh, to Concord in the Pavilion with Lamb of God, and it was like, I was like, damn, okay, he can still play. But yeah, I agree with you. He still has like this sour taste. He's so bitter for everything. Yeah, they did bring. I think he brought Marty Friedman back for like one show, which that would have been awesome. I saw the tour. The last time I saw them was they did a tour for the anniversary of rust in peace and they played the entire album all no the way, way. Through with, you know, and that was still with Marty and everything. And that, that was like mind blowing. I mean, yeah, they're older guys, but like, like you said, they still shred. So mm -hmm. it was, that was really fun, but it's starting to get a little cartoonish at this point, but you know, what can we say? We all get old. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Speaking of this kind of ties into the next thing that I saw, uh, the guitarist Mick Mars is suing Motley Crue uh, like over like some touring disputes. Uh, and I think that this is another just, yeah, another one that's kind of funny um, because I think they're trying to move on without him. And I like, he's I feel suing, like he's suing to stay in the band. I think, I think that's the, yeah. So <laughs> I yeah, would, he, uh, they're trying oh to throw, God. yeah, it's uh, they're trying to throw him out. So they're, unable to tour because he like can't but they want to tour and so i think that they're uh. he's like suing them so that they don't go out and tour with someone else um which is i mean i i don't know how how like because you see certain you see like other bands kind of doing and replacing certain people in bands with still touring and i think that i don't see an issue with it like i i, I understand that's not the original members but it's like i think people are just going to hear those songs played live like, yeah i don't think mick mars was ever the draw for <laughs> i don't think that his alien looking ass he looked 45 when he was 20 that guy's i think there's something wrong with him like he's he has some type of physical disorder i think that he has had since he was young um so i don't want to make too much fun of him but mm -hmm. he's a weird looking dude um he has always looked like an alien and he also, he's not like an amazing guitar player. I mean, he's never been, you know, he's not Eddie Van Halen. He's not. I was going to say, it's not like the Motley Crue songs are terribly 
like uh technical yeah. or <laughs> i mean like hey i'm not tooting my own my own horn but i could go on tour with motley Crue and play all those songs like i'm a decent <laughs> guitar player i can't play marty friedman but i can play mick mars I can, <laughs> I can i can jam out on girls 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 like i can yeah. handle that shit like he is not a virtuoso he is imminently replaceable and yeah i don't know i don't really feel much for any of those guys i mean i don't know if you've seen like vince neal lately but i mean oh i was gonna say the live the live recordings of Vince oh. trying to sing lately have been yeah they've been pretty bad like you know i'm making fun of like metallica and megadeth but at least like you said those guys still sound like they used to sound i mean they can still you know metallica can still go up on stage and tear up you know um, you know any of their any of their original jams right like they yeah. can still they can still shred it but no vince neal looks like he's gonna i mean i just feel scared for him like he's running around on stage and i'm like slow down man chill like yeah. you know i don't want you to break a hip i don't want you to hurt yourself you just calm down <laughs> like why don't you just take a seat sing sing yeah. from a seat it just is sad yeah i mean like even axel rose looks better than him now yeah mean? and that's saying that's yeah, I was gonna say like <laughs> woolen ass weird Axl Rose puffed up, man. It is it really. There's nothing that kind of puts your childhood and teenage years into perspective than looking at your idols now. You know, it yeah. is it it is scary to know that we're all headed in that direction too. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, it's it is sad and you wonder like it's got to be tough though at the same time because like uh like bon jovi like stop there was like he's getting there like he i I, yeah. I watched some recordings of him and i'm like man damn like but you can't what are you gonna you know it's like do you have somebody come in and play for you and like the rest of the band goes and you're just kind of you just sit it out like it's, like, it's gotta once, be tough you mentioned like lineups are kind of interchangeable but i feel like the singer is real hard to replace like that's like you the, know, yeah that's the the quote front man or the front woman unless and, they like die or something you know it's like that's yeah. the only real time that you can like yeah like alice in chains or like like uh what's his name's singing for queen now it's like mm -hmm. if somebody the guy from american away, idol or something yeah i forget his name what the fuck is that yeah yeah, and even then, I mean, I just and I actually kind of like that guy from American Idol, but I just don't think I would go see Adam Lambert. Right? Yeah, Lambert. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, I think he's you know he he's he's a legit singer. Um, I don't know that I would want to. See, there's just Freddie Mercury to me was Queen. I mean Brian May too, but like the mm -hmm. the interplay between those two guys, and so once you lose that the face of the band it is really hard to think of that as the same band without thinking of it as just a cover band with a couple of the same members and you know i think there's a few bands where that's not the case i think with guns and roses like i wouldn't want to see them without slash right like for me yeah. the top hat the the paul reads the you know the yeah if somebody sounded like axel it might be okay like mm -hmm. if slash like, is still there Probably it might be better because Axel's kind of a hot mess yeah. and Slash can still rip. So, you know, I might want to go see that instead. But other than that, mostly it's it's the front man that, that matters for me. Yeah, like in Megadeth, it's really only Dave Mustaine that you... Yeah. And He's yeah, been the only... Point. I, it's I like think if Lars... Like if you replaced Lars, yeah. Uh, Elfson, he got in that... The bass player from Megadeth was in that lawsuit like a few years ago. Did you see that? No. Or no, lawsuit. It wasn't a lawsuit. He got like... Oh, he got exposed. Somebody exposed pictures of him, like, uh, oh, he's like abusing on, a woman or something. He was masturbating on uh, Zoom or something. 
Oh, uh, with like a, with like a, I think it was with like a, let me look this up. I don't want to. But See, he was. This is why you don't want to know too much about your heroes? <laughs> yeah. I, like the last thing I want to know is David Ellison was jerking it on a Zoom call. Like, oh god, that is it's a sad world. What are you gonna do? It's also yeah. Though, he like, recorded. She recorded two or three videos. So somebody recorded video of him masturbating without his consent and posted it. With oh well, that's kind of different. Nineteen-year-old fan, and then it was like, I'm kind of not mad at him for that. She's legal. Years old the first time. He's a rock star. Encounter. Yeah, he's gonna jerk off on. <laughs> he stated it about four or five times. It's also though I do I mentioned like looking at them is kind of hard because you see where you're headed, but at the same time like a lot of those rock stars, they lived hard lives. You know, they like put a lot yeah. of living and a lot of drugs into their system. And so, and I don't think they're, they're used to like a... being recorded or like, what's that? That's st- I don't think they're used to or, like thinking about back. There was nothing being recorded in like, yeah, nineties. <laughs> that, yeah, that's the other thing is like, you know, this was the generation I'm part of the generation that doesn't, that had to learn that everything we do now is scrutinized. Um, there were things Duncan and I have talked about it on episodes like you know there was a time when I was a teenager and I was in San Francisco on a on a hill and it was probably 2 p.m. and I was wasted and I felt I was trying to I was trying to take a leak on the road because I just didn't care and I was drunk I'm in downtown (laughs) San Francisco and I couldn't get my zipper down so I just pulled my pants down and I'm taking a piss and then I tripped and I fell and I rolled down the hill just like pissing the whole way down like a rotary sprinkler just all the way down the hill (laughs) And there were people, there were like, you know, Asian tourists. And so there was like a tour bus that went by. It was all Japanese people. And they were like, so there are some. They're like America. Yeah. (laughs) There are some actual film pictures of that, I'm sure. Uh, But, you know, these days. They would just, there would be five. Oh, you would have been on, you would have yeah. been on fucking. I'd be the hill pissing guy on you fucking YouTube, on you know, on TikTok. Everywhere. Like, it would be. 100%. Like, we went, we grew up in a, in a time when there weren't the same repercussions, you know? We didn't have to worry about. That's such that. a crazy example to use. <laughs> just. We, we didn't like, have to God, worry about. I wasn't. We didn't have to worry about that defining our lives, you know? I would never yeah. live that down. <laughs> oh, no, yeah. Uh, well, I have a lot of sympathy for this. hilarious show. image, too. <laughs> rolling and still pissing. You're like, shit. Yeah, oh. so I have so much sympathy for this generation, man. They do yeah. stupid things, and they just, now that's you. That's your life now. That's going to follow yeah. you. Every, every employer is going to look you up, and it's going to be, you know, even the girl... There was recently a girl who was like yelling the N-word and it, it's terrible. Like, you know, she's obviously needs to reckon with her own internalized in, with her own racism. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like that doesn't necessarily mean that this should be the end of her life. Um, and, you know, and I'm sensitive to that kind of stuff, especially And my wife is my wife is black. And so, you know, as an interracial couple, I think it's uh, anytime there's like someone online who's being racist or something, I always kind of root for them to get exposed and, and punished for it. But I don't want that to be the rest of their life. I want them to learn from it. You want and, like, growth and things. have some growth. And like, yeah. you know, she's 19 or something like and completely wasted. She, she didn't even remember it. And I don't have a lot of sympathy for her now, but I hope that that doesn't define her life going forward. I hope she can recover from this and she got kicked out of school and she can, you know, go somewhere else and restart and examine herself and see where that comes from. 
So, you know, I think as long as there's a redemption path, I think it's fine to punish people for the stupid shit they do, but it, it shouldn't ruin your life. Yeah, like you should be able to piss in the street in San Francisco and yeah. still be able to tell. <laughs> everyone's got it. Everyone's got it. We all do it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not the first. I won't be the last. Oh, man. Well, dude, this is this is a great spot to I think to end the podcast. I uh, I want to thank you again for taking the time to do this with me today. Um, where can people follow you? Follow your podcast and you know check you out comedy wise. You know, do you have any like shows coming up? Things like that. Yeah, so I'm taking a little bit of a break from comedy. This this show that I did last night was actually um, the last one I'm going to do for at least three weeks, and then I think I have some shows coming up. Um, Starting in May, I'm definitely going to be doing a bunch more shows. And you can find that at shanerogers.net. And then uh, our podcast is Midnight Facts for Insomniacs, as we mentioned. And you can get that anywhere uh, fine podcasts are sold. Hell yeah. Awesome, man. Yeah, thank you. Uh, thank, you for, thank you again for doing this. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me on. This is fun. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Please make sure to like and subscribe on any platform you're on right now and head over to Instagram or Facebook. Give the page at I'm Getting There Pod a follow to continue to stay updated on this. And we'll see you next time. <laughs>